postmodern and post-Christian are both terms that the, the church seriously needs to retire. We're going to the world to tell them who we are, and we're not going to the world to present who God is. A world in which so much is focused on building walls and keeping people out. An alternative way to live is to live by... It's almost like raising up white flag and saying, Ah! It's all the secular people's fault and no one's listening or coming to our evangelistic campaign. How can we redesign Adventism to be effective at reaching emerging Western culture? That's what the Story Church podcast is all about. Adventism Redesigned. Hey everyone, it's Pastor Marcus here and I want to welcome you back to Cringeology. Well, actually, I'm, I'm welcoming you back to the Story Church podcast, but we're currently doing the Cringeology series. So I guess welcome back to the Story Church podcast, specifically Cringeology. Um, part two is what we're talking about today. And I got to tell you guys, part one was Fun. I mean, it was such a blast. Like some people really loved it, um, and some people got really triggered <laughs> by it. Uh, but what that basically means is I got the chance to talk with all kinds of folk as a result, and it was seriously a huge blast to get all the comments on Facebook um, that I got to interact with. And I, you know, the thing is, like, even though um, people comment and sometimes uh, they don't agree. And sometimes they don't agree quite, um, what's the word I'm looking for, vigorously. Uh, the thing is, I, like, I always learn and appreciate those kind of interactions because it gives me the chance to dialogue and to get into, um, into perspectives and ideas and, and thoughts that uh, I, I don't necessarily agree with. And sometimes I haven't even necessarily encountered before. And it's always a good learning experience. Uh, so yeah, look for everyone who uh, interacted with the previous episode where we talked about fundamentalism. Thank you. Thank you. Even if uh, we totally didn't agree. Uh, I enjoyed it. It was awesome. Now, if you didn't get a chance already, make sure you head over to the cringeology, um, the part one fundamentalism. You can also get it from the, the page for part two, which is what we're talking about today. Um, because there's a PowerPoint file titled saying no to verbal dictation, uh, which is what we talked about in the fundamentalism episode. Um, now that PowerPoint, it's a PowerPoint show. You can download it for free and it's a training resource that you can lose, use in your local church to help your local church leaders and members uh, develop a more balanced and biblical theory of inspiration. Um, and look, here's the thing. While, while that alone isn't going to solve all your problems, the bottom line is that a bad theory of inspiration is definitely going to lead to big headaches. Uh, so make sure you download the free PowerPoint and make sure you make good use of it because a healthy theory of inspiration is imperative, guys. It's imperative for building a culture that is both grounded in the Bible and missional at the same time. Now, in today's post, we're going to tackle the next cringy item on our list of cringy beliefs. Uh, now, I want to remind you guys that none of these false beliefs have anything to do with Adventist doctrine itself. Instead, these are more like folk theology in that they're alive and well in many local churches, but they don't really originate with authentic Adventist thought. So nevertheless, um, they do a lot of damage, guys, and um, especially to our missional capacity. So today, I'm taking on number two of the seven false ideas that kill Adventist mission. And number two on the list is this thing called frugalism. Now, what in the world is frugalism. 
Now, I'm glad you asked, even though it was me who asked, but I'm assuming that you would ask that question. So I'm glad that you asked because chances are this is the first time that you've ever heard this word used in reference to Adventism, maybe even theology as a whole. So allow me to define the term for you. Um, and then after I define it, we'll, we'll take a look at why frugalism is false. And then finally, we'll, we'll take a look at how it damages Adventist mission. Um, and of course, we'll, we'll close with some practical steps on, on what we can do to remove its influence from our churches. Now, here we go. The term frugalism, uh, it's not an academic term, all right? It's not an academic or theological term in any way. It's a term that I personally use, and I use it in kind of like a loose, fun way, all right? Um, so don't send me, you know, comments on how you don't think the word is the best. It probably isn't, all right? And, you know, whatever. Uh, come up with your own word. But I'll define it, and then, you know, you can run with it or not. But basically, um, it comes from the word frugal, which means to live sparingly, as in don't spend lots of money. Uh, like a person who op shops, for example, and owns little material possessions can be considered frugal. Um, or you don't have to be poor to be a frugalist. You can be wealthy, but choose to live simply. And, and sort of like the modern minimalist trend. It's a good example of frugalism. Um, but while being frugal has this nice side to it, it also has an ugly side. And we can all think of people who are cheap, stingy, and miserly. Uh, Charles Dickens' classic novel, um, you know, A Christmas Carol with uh, Ebenezer Scrooge. Now that guy is a prime example of a, a stingy person who, who, while wealthy, lives a very reserved res, and penurious life. So despite being rich and owning lots of stuff, Scrooge is kind of a frugalist in the negative sense of the term. Now we can see a similar dynamic in the spiritual life, and it's what leads me to kind of play around loosely with this term. In a spiritual sense, all of us are rich in grace. Jesus is the treasure of heaven that has been gifted to each of us, and in him, we have everything. So you'd think that as a result, everyone who claims to be a Christian would be radically sharing the riches of Jesus without reservation, but sadly, there's this Scrooge mindset in a lot of our churches, a kind of spiritual frugalism that, for whatever reason, prefers not to share Jesus too much. They're basically grace minimalists, and gospel stingy, and they live as though they're poor, even though the treasure of Jesus is theirs without measure. So in short, in my weird head, a frugalist is a person who is stingy on grace. For them, grace is something to be kept under wraps. Don't talk about it too much or preach about it too much or sing about it too much. And the moment that someone mentions grace is as if they feel the obligation to pike up and remind everyone, yes, but don't forget you still have to do X, Y, and Z. Now, if the pastor preaches about Jesus, they're upset. They would much rather you preach about what the Pope is up to. They complain about cheap grace all the time, but instead of presenting a rich grace, they stifle grace altogether. Frugalism, then, is the false belief that grace should be kept under lock and key. So the greatest treasure of heaven is stowed away only to be released in small portions that we can control so things don't get too out of hand. Now, some of you might say, hey, isn't that just legalism? And yeah, in a sense, that's basically what it is. But what I find is legalism isn't a very helpful term because strictly defined, legalism refers to a person who believes we can be saved or stay saved by our works. And most legalists, I found, can wiggle out of that. So I started playing around with this term frugalist because it's a bit harder to wiggle out of. It refers to anyone 
who thinks grace needs to be qualified, supplemented with disclaimers, or kept under wraps in order to preserve Adventist identity. And yes, that's legalism, um, but I, I just, I don't know. For me, it's a type of legalism. Frugalism is a type of legalism. Even. I use the term because, like I said, it's a bit more difficult to wiggle out of um, than legalism is. Now, why is frugalism false? For starters, Jesus is the center of all scripture. Like, Jesus was clear, they testify of me, right? This is John 5, 39. And, and using the writings of Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained from the scriptures all the things concerning himself. That's Luke 24, 27, on, on, when he met with those guys on the road to Emos, right? Um, everything revolves around him to the extent that the things written in the law of Moses, I'm quoting here, and in the prophets and in the Psalms, Jesus explicitly declared they're written about me. That's Luke 24, 44. So all of reality as well is etched in Jesus and nothing that exists would exist were it not for him. And we see this in John chapter 1, verses 1, 2, 3. He's the author and finisher of our faith, Hebrews 12, 2. In him, believers inherit the limitless riches of eternity. And you can never give too much Jesus or too much grace. They're without measure. They're without limit, right? So the ocean of God's love is infinite and it can't be exhausted. And if you think you've seen too much grace, you haven't seen any. So the other point is that not only is Jesus the center of all scripture, but Jesus is the center of Adventism, right? Adventism's central message to the world is not that the Pope is a baddie or that Sunday law is coming or that there are secret societies conspiring to bring in a new world order, which by the way, that belief is actually entirely non-Adventist. A conversation for another time maybe. Um, and our message is not to be a vegan or don't drink coffee or Sabbath is on the seventh day, not the first, right? That's, that's not our message. Instead, Adventism's central message is a revelation of God's character of love. And as a result, our entire narrative is centered in Jesus, rooted in Jesus, immersed in Jesus, and it falls apart without Jesus. Now think about Adventism's central doctrine, right? The 2300 days. This doctrine connects to Adventism's theological lens, the sanctuary, and enables us to make sense of redemption history in a way that is kind of, you know, uniquely our own. And now when the vision begins in Daniel, and for those of you who aren't Daniel nerds and aren't very familiar with this, forgive me, because I'm assuming that the person listening to this has some level of understanding or else I'd have to explain it all and it would be forever. So I'm assuming there's a basic level of understanding here. When the vision begins in Daniel 8, the angel tells Daniel that 70 weeks are set aside for Israel. And he lists a bunch of stuff, right? So he's like, you know, you got these 70 weeks that have been set aside for you and your people. Um, and you, these are the things you have to do in those 70 weeks. And he lists six things. So for example, you got to atone for iniquity. You got to make an end to sin, of sin. Yeah, you got to bring in everlasting righteousness, right? And six other things. Um, and in the end, we know Israel didn't fulfill his requirement. And so the gospel went to the Gentiles. But here's the thing. If you analyze the list of things Israel needed to do to fulfill its mission, it becomes painfully clear that if they had just received and embraced Jesus, they would have fulfilled everything God required of them. I mean, seriously, how do you atone for iniquity? Jesus. How do you make an end of sin? Jesus. How do you bring in everlasting righteousness? Jesus, right? Like if they had just received Jesus, they would have fulfilled everything God required of them. So Jesus emerges as the center of the 70-week prophecy. In Jesus, everything God required of Israel is fulfilled. 
And likewise, as we get to the end of the 2300 years, right, because the 70 weeks are the beginning of the 2300 years, we get to the end of the 2300 years, we arrive at the Day of Atonement. And when you read about the Day of Atonement in Leviticus uh, 14, you discover that there were multiple sacrifices, more than on other days, on that one day. And it's as if the metaphor is emphasizing the sacrifice on this day more than others. And the reason is simple. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything God requires during the final judgment. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Day of Atonement. Just as he was the center at the start of the vision, 70 weeks, he's the center at the end of the vision, which ends in 1844 and brings us into the um, age that we're living in today. So during the cleansing of the sanctuary, Jesus is the hero that takes center stage. Like, it's all about Jesus. And what this means is that anyone who claims to be an Adventist, and I'm like super unapologetic about this, guys. And, um, you know, I always try and be, you know, kind and humble and understanding and appreciative of different worldviews. But I don't play around with this right here. Anyone who claims to be an Adventist and puts Jesus to the side is not really Adventist. And I don't care how loud you say it. Anyone who claims to be an Adventist and treats grace like some trivial Bible point that is secondary to beasts, horns, and dates is not really an Adventist. They're a wolf in sheep's clothing. Frugalism is false because it generates an empty Adventism. An Adventism that holds to 28 fundamentals, strips them of the treasure that makes them valuable, and then accuses people who try to put the treasure back of watering down our message. But the truth is, Adventism is rooted, grounded, and centered in Jesus, and without him as the point of everything we believe, we might as well not believe any of it. Now, if that wasn't clear enough, I'm going to make it painfully clear. Without Jesus, Ellen White is a meaningless prophet not worth reading. Without Jesus, the Sabbath is a pointless idea not worth keeping. Without Jesus, end-time events are miserable predictions best ignored. Without Jesus, the Bible is a worthless book best forgotten. Without Jesus, everything we have to say as Adventists is laughable nonsense, nothing more than religious noise beating to a different drum. Now, I love the way W.W. W. Prescott, one of the SDI pioneers, put it in his book, The Doctrine of Christ, page 16. He says this, Christ is indeed the key to the Bible. Of him, God has given us more than sketches. The word from end to end is full of him. In the word, we have a whole Christ presented to us. Christ in his offices, in his character, in his person, Christ in his relations to God and man, Christ in his body, the church, Christ as giving to God all that God required from man, Christ as bringing to man all that man required from God, Christ as seen in this dispensation in suffering, Christ as seen in the next dispensation in glory, Christ as the first and the last, as all in all to his people, end quote. So, how does this idea of frugalism, right, where we get stingy on Jesus, how does it damage Adventist mission? Now, some of you might be thinking right now, hey, you know, okay, frugalism, all right, frugalists, frugalists exist, but they're kind of on the fringes, aren't they? I mean, they're probably best left to die there alone. Why even bother talking about them? But here's the thing, guys, after an entire lifetime of being an Adventist and traveling around, I have come to discover that the theological frugalist is not as rare as we might like him to be. 
While emerging generations are beginning to take Adventism in a new direction, the Adventist church has always had two camps within it warring over the centrality of Jesus in our message, and that war continues to this day. So a quick snippet or overview of history. The early Adventists, for those of us who are moderately familiar with our history, we, we know that the early Adventists kind of lost sight of Jesus by stressing the law too much. And this is what led to the famous explosion over the law and grace at the 1888 General Conference session, where the powers that be fought to keep grapes under wraps. And, and so there you have it, right? Grace under wraps in 1888. Grace under wraps pre-1888. Um, now, again, this is just a sort of like a quick snippet. So I'm going to jump all the way over to 1919 conference. Grace took another back seat at the 1919 conference as fundamentalism made its way into Adventism. In the 1950s, Grace once again took a back seat during the questions on doctrine crisis and an explosion of ultra conservative independent ministries obsessed with rules and lifestyle issues emerged. And most of these ministries were basing their identity of Adventism through the fundamentalist lens. And the impact of these ministries and the theological frugalism that they espoused created the existential vacuum that led to the Ford crisis in the 1980s. And in recent years, the tensions surrounding the One Project, a ministry that aims to celebrate the supremacy of Jesus and Adventism, reveals that this tension is far from over. Now, I'm not here to suggest whether or not the One Project is a good thing or a bad thing. I think that's a conversation for totally like separate time um but they have been attacked for a number of reasons one of which is their desire to bring jesus back to the center which is kind of weird um now despite the fact that emergent thinkers theologians and scholars have deconstructed the false influence of fundamentalism and quote-unquote frugalism in recent decades their presence at the local church level remains alive and well and here is how it damages our mission i'm going to share you three ways in which Frugalism damages our mission. Number one, it makes Adventism pointless. Now, what happens when Jesus is removed from the center? Just ask Lucifer, right? I mean, the arch rebel's rebellion is proof that when you remove Jesus from his throne, you are forced to replace his lordship. Lucifer replaced Jesus with himself and founded an empire based on the supremacy of the self rather than God. And the same happens in theology and church culture. When we remove Jesus from the center, the bottom line is that center won't stay vacant. You've got to put something in there. And for many, at least in Adventism, the center comes to be filled with lifestyle issues that come to dominate their faith almost entirely. Obsession with apocalyptic themes or an unhealthy preoccupation with deception, right? The kind of people who cry ecumenism every time someone at the GC turns their chair. And here's the thing. Once Jesus is no longer at the center, it's time to pack up and go home. Nothing we have to say is even remotely worth it because it no longer has redemptive power. Ellen White was clear on the centrality of Jesus when she wrote Gospel Workers, page 315. The sacrifice of Christ as an atonement for sin is a great truth around which all other truths cluster. In order to be rightly understood and appreciated, every truth in the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation must be studied in the light that streams from the cross of Calvary. I present before you the great grand monument of mercy and regeneration, salvation and redemption, the Son of God uplifted on the cross. This is to be the foundation of every discourse given by our ministers, end quote. 
Now, notice that Ellen White refers to the cross as the grand monument, right, of regeneration. The implication is simple. If Jesus isn't at the center, you have no redemption, in which case you might as well stop talking and go home. The second way in which frugalism damages our mission is it disconnects us from the world. The natural result of frugalism is that churches inundated with this kind of mindset become exclusive and judgmental. Even when they balance this out with a bit of common sense and friendliness, people always get the sense that they aren't good enough or haven't made it to the standard just yet. Churches like this also tend to be heavy on theology and light on meaningful service. So they generate cultures that are so out of touch with people that they find it hard to connect with people. And while they pride themselves in not being wishy-washy, they fail to realize that they're sour-coated, right? And, you know, that's, you don't want to be wishy-washy, but you don't want to be sour-coated either, guys. As a result, even their message is repulsive to most people who come into contact with it. And young people rarely hang around these kinds of churches, and the surrounding community rarely knows they're there because they spend more time watching DVDs about the next end-time deception than serving the felt needs of the people around them. And number three... It damages the character of God. Adventism exists to be a revelation of God's character of love. That is literally our reason and purpose for existing. We have no other mission. Therefore, churches like this, rather than simply stifling Adventist mission, go a step further by sabotaging it. They don't simply neutralize our forward movement. They reverse it. They make us go backwards. And the reason is simple. Churches like this promulgate the negative view of God's character, our movement was actually raised to combat. The amount of unlearning I've had to do over the years after being heavily influenced by this frugal Adventism is ridiculous. And my wife had a very similar experience and I've had countless conversations with countless people who experienced the same dynamic. And the sad part is rather than moving forward with our mission, we got to spend all this time undoing the damage these ministries and churches perpetuate just so we can get back on the right track. Like, we haven't even started mission yet, right? We're just, we're just getting back <laughs> on the right track. But the worst part is that the real victim here is God, right? His character is once again maligned by the very people he called to be witnesses to his goodness. So how do we reverse frugalism in our churches? Let me tell you what won't work. Telling people, hey, only Jesus matters, forget about doctrine. Okay, now here's the thing, as cute as that might sound, not only is it false, but it pushes the frugalist even further into his cave. If we want to reverse the impact of frugalism in our churches, a better approach is to reclaim Jesus at the center of every doctrine we hold rather than trying to diminish the importance of doctrine, right? And I know sometimes we feel like we're doing Jesus a favor when we say, forget all this other stuff, it's all about Jesus. Um, but this is actually one of the areas where I kind of, I suppose I would say I part ways with the evangelical Adventist trend that wants to emphasize Jesus while diminishing other doctrines. Uh, apart from the fact that it doesn't help our movement heal, it's also the victim of a terrible philosophy that suggests we need to forget all that other unimportant stuff in the Bible and just focus on Jesus. And the tragedy of this view is that what you're effectively saying is that the Bible can be split two ways. Jesus, one, and two, all the other unimportant stuff. But I'm of the belief that a true Christ-centered vision will say that the Bible is all about Jesus. There is nothing unimportant in it. Rather, all of its diverse doctrines are like multiple lenses into the heart of God. Jesus is at the center and everything points to him. So literally, you can ask me to preach about anything in the Bible, anything, and I'm going to talk to you about Jesus, right? That's, that's the point. 
So when we take this approach, what we do is we teach people that they can be fully committed to the Adventist message and radical about the centrality and beauty of Jesus at the same time. But more than that, we can show them that Jesus is really the point of every single doctrine and that without him, those doctrines lose their meaning entirely. So this helps people recalibrate to Jesus without scaring them into the arms of the next ultra-conservative conspiracy theorist floating around on YouTube. Now, here's the thing, because I've gone on long enough. If you want to read more about this, check out my article about the function of Adventist theology. It's called Dear Adventism, It's Time We Repented of Our Dry and Cheesy Theology. Now, I'm going to have the link to that in the show notes, um, but you can also just look it up at thestorychurchproject.com or if you go to the blog itself for this particular episode, the link is there too. And I also want to recommend you purchase my ebook, Weird Revolution, Adventism for a Post-Church Generation. That's also at the Story Church Project slash store one. And that's just the digit one after the word store. Um, that's a great book that unveils the beauty and relevance of the Adventist message for the modern, postmodern, post whatever. I mean, it's like a post everything, right? Um, age. So check that book out, guys. Check it out. I think you're going to love it. All right. So anyways, let me wrap this up. Frugalism, the false belief that grace needs to be kept under wraps. Yeah, it's a false belief and we need to do away with it and it needs to go because so long as we hold on to this false belief, mission is going to suffer. Now, next week, we're going to dive into the next item on the cringeology list, and that is perfectionism. Oh, boy, that's always a hot topic. Stay tuned, guys. We're going to talk about this third belief that kills Adventist mission. But for now, I hope that you found today's podcast slash blog insightful and inspiring. And may God bless you as you continue to redesign your local Adventist church for mission. Catch you next week. Mm-hmm.